The Israelites camped at the foot of Mount Sinai as the Lord spoke his Ten Commandments to Moses on the mountain, along with further instructions and laws that were to be set out before the people. The Israelites responded in obedience and awe, saying, Everything the Lord has said we will do. The glory of the Lord settled on the mountain, appearing like a consuming fire with a covering cloud. Here Moses stayed for forty days and forty nights. The Lord met with Moses and gave extensive instruction for the building of the ark, the tabernacle and the courtyard. The Lord gave instruction for the anointing of Aaron and his sons as priests, instruction on sacrifices and final instructions on observing the Sabbath. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered round Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. The Lord informed Moses about all the Israelites had done, calling them a stiff-necked people, and in his holy anger wanted to destroy them. But Moses sought the Lord's favour for the people, requesting the Lord turn from his fierce anger, and after Moses' plea, the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control. And so he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Moses, in response to the Lord, instructed the Levites to enter the camp with swords. And on that day, many who had worshipped the golden calf died. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord. Please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of. The Israelites mourned and repented, and in obedience to God, Moses chiseled out two more stone tablets like the first and brought them up Mount Sinai. Here the Lord came down in a cloud and wrote on the tablets as he did before. Welcome and a warm welcome to you all. Are you well this morning? 
Wonderful, wonderful. It, it's a tremendous privilege for me to come this morning and to continue this exciting series looking at the life of Moses. Now, you've had some fantastic speakers over recent weeks, but never did you realise Moses himself was going to come and speak to you this morning, right? Ah, in one swift moment, my dreams of Hollywood have come crashing down amid some very questionable acting and um, some more questionable fake beard action. But um, let's hear it from Mac Chernick, shall we? And the amazing team, media team, and the job that they do. And so this journey of Moses uh, is a journey through which Moses arguably becomes the greatest leader in the Old Testament. It's a phenomenal adventure which saw two million Israelites released from captivity in Egypt. And here we have the Israelite people having experienced the the ten plagues on the Egyptians that saw them released from captivity. They've experienced God's presence and his guidance as he's led them by a a pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. And they've experienced the the walking through the sea through which uh, Tom did a brilliant message where there seems to be no way God makes a way. Amen? And importantly for the, the context of our message this morning, the Israelites have received the Ten Commandments and many other laws and instructions that were given to Moses. And they have all responded in Exodus 24:4, everything the Lord has said we will do. They have pledged their obedience and their faithfulness to God. These are exciting times. And so we pick the story up in chapter 32 with the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai, having seen God work in amazing ways, yet in the absence of their leader Moses, who's up Mount Sinai encountering God for 40 days, they unbelievably turn from God. In their confusion as to where Moses is, in a, in a sense of rebellion, they, they make for themselves a golden calf for them to worship. I mean, not only that, but they make it out of the very plunder of Egypt, That was no doubt a sign of God's covenant promise to them, of God's faithfulness to them. And they make this calf before which they build an altar. I mean, like, like, (laughs) what is going on here? I mean, I don't know about you, but when you first read that story, you're like, what are they doing? How, How could they be so fickle, right? And Exodus 32 verse 6 says, And they got up to indulge in revelry based on a Hebrew word that likely means sexual promiscuity and drunkenness. And yet, you see, the truth is, in this account, even when we've seen God do amazing things, we can still easily fall. And the truth is, we can find ourselves in the same position as the Israelites, where we find ourselves falling from God and and worshipping all sorts of different idols that come to take place in our life. I just want to share a little bit of my own story that reflects some of this. Like, I was brought up in a Christian home to love the Lord. I loved the Lord and I served the Lord wholeheartedly. But you see, stuff would happen. The enemy would come in. There's a battle that we're waging, you know. And I've got to be honest, I started to make some decisions that would see me fall far from God. That I, I could no longer come before God. I couldn't accept his forgiveness. I, I, I was riddled with guilt and shame. That the only thing that I could do was to shut God out of my life. And, it, and if God wasn't going to be the one sitting on the throne on my life, 
then I was the one that was going to sit on it. And you see, for, for three years, this, this hedonistic lifestyle came to be. And, and a daily drug-fueled, drink-fueled lifestyle was a life that I lived. And you see, I, I could no longer talk to God anymore. I, I couldn't accept my sin and shame. I couldn't ask God his forgiveness, riddled with his guilt. And all I could do was, was turn from God. And do you know, before everything was to change a God encounter happened. And I met uh, someone, a random encounter with a Christian who I barely knew, who showed such warmth and such love and such grace to me. And all of a sudden, God was placed in the forefront of my mind. And I remember in that time when I was far from God, I couldn't pray anymore. But the one prayer I did say amidst floods of tears in the floor of my bedroom was, God, whatever you do, don't ever totally let me go. I couldn't bear the thought of the rest of my life without God. And so after this chance conversation, I found myself going to a fish and chip shop in Market Deep in where I lived. And all of a sudden, God's power by his Holy Spirit fell on me in the most incredible way. And I began shaking so violently under his power that my knees were hit in the side of the car. And I began to sob uncontrollably and just cry out at God, I'm so sorry. The realization that God was in me. And do you know the thing that God so clearly said to me in that moment was, Phil, I have never let you go. I want you to know this morning, our God is a faithful God, amen? He's a God who pursues us, a God who chases us, a God who is faithful to each and every one of us as his children. And we have a God who encounters us. And we all have a different story. We all have a different journey of faith. You, you might not have had a chip shop experience or a mountaintop experience like Moses, but there are times where God has moved in our lives, where he shaped us, spoke to us, challenged us, changed the direction that we're in. That's why we're here this morning. And you may not have had a, a drug-fueled lifestyle up on that, that throne in your life, that thing you came to worship, but the truth is idolatry comes in very subtle ways. And we all have things that we wrestle with. We all have things that we struggle with that come to find themselves sat on that throne in our life. I, I just want to say this morning, if you've found yourself falling away from God, no far is too far from God's love. You cannot escape his love. And he pursues you this morning. And, and without a shadow of a doubt, God is calling you back to him this morning. God's grace is sufficient for you. And he calls you back home. He calls you to him. And no matter what you've been or where you've done, I'm telling you, God has purposed you to be here that you can encounter his love and grace afresh this morning. And so through this golden calf incident, we come to experience the God who shatters our idols. And as we look at this, we're going to explore two key themes. The first, the, the fickle love of man. So beautifully demonstrated in my own story and in this story here of the Israelites alongside the jealous love of God. And I'll bring this into land by exploring the saving love of Jesus. Amen for each and every one of us this morning. And so in this account, 
uh, we see through this golden calf that the Lord's leadership, the Lord's protection has been replaced by this mere idol. Like such, so great was their sin that it broke both the, both the first and the second commandment. In Exodus 20, three to four, you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. It's a pretty clear instruction, isn't it? An idol, as the Oxford Dictionary puts it, is anything, is an image or a representation of a God, importantly, that is used as an object of worship. Anything that we in our, our broken, fallen humanity find ourselves worshipping, that, that sits in the place that is rightfully God's. This is idol worship. And the important thing here is, is, is not so much the object, though, though a calf, a bull, represented uh, a symbol of great strength and great power in ancient Egypt. But the important thing, it was something that was worshipped. And, and we could argue today that the opposite of Christianity isn't atheism, but it's idolatry. An idolatry of the heart, the things that we come to worship that is not God. So picture for me a moment a, a throne in your life. My question this morning is, is who or what is sitting on that throne? For me... It was this hedonistic lifestyle, this drug-fueled, drink-fueled lifestyle that had become my life. And for many of us, it may not be those things. But for sure, there are things that we wrestle with. There are things that we struggle with. There are things that need dethroning in our lives that we can be fully and completely surrendered to our Lord God. I mean, some of the things that call us to, cause us to fall into idolatry are often not bad in and of themselves. Um, but it's the attention to them. It's the worship that we give them that's the issue. If we get our affirmation, our self-worth, our value from anything that is not God, then, then we're committing idolatry. The most dangerous idols are, are often the ones that we can't see. The idols that either knowingly or unknowingly begin to edge their way onto that throne. Listen to what Ezekiel prophesies in his prophetic message of judgment to God's people in Ezekiel 14 verse 7. It says, when any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing in Israel separates themselves from me and sets up idols in their heart... And put a wicked stumbling block before their faces. I will set my face against them. I will set my face against them. Let, let me suggest that underneath every sin lies a hard idol. A false God that has eclipsed the true God in our thoughts and in our reflections. A false God that on the surface promises to deliver but always inevitably doesn't. There's the hard idols, so many, hard idols of, of control, of success, popularity, reputation, security, pleasure, recognition, respect. These are all idols that can come to sit 
on that throne in our life. And this morning, I want us to briefly touch on three of the most common hard idols that we often face today. That of money, of sex, and of power. All ultimately wrapped up in the hard idol of self that comes to sit on that throne that is rightfully God's. We cannot be idle about our idols. Amen? Amen. That wasn't even my line. It was good though, wasn't it? It was good. Um, So money. Let's look at this. Do you remember that moment when you were younger, when you'd open your birthday cards? What did you hope would happen? Like you're there, aren't you? The words are lovely and meaningful, but let's face it, we are waiting for that cash to fall out. I know it to be true, and even in our old age, you know, there's that little inkling, isn't there? It, it was my wife's birthday just two weeks ago. I made sure in that her card for me, for my eldest daughter, for my youngest daughter, in each and every one of them, £20 fell out. You should have seen the excitement on my wife's face. I mean, it was a great moment. There's something exciting and luring about money. It's a great thing. So much good can be done with our finances. It provides for us health and security, protection, opportunities, adventure, so many different things. And it's ultimately what we, what we work for. Who enjoys payday? Anyone? Few of us. Come on. It's good. <laughs> but the Bible is clear that the love of money is the root of all evil. And when we become to love this thing, that's when it needs to be dethroned in our lives, when it becomes something that we worship. When we find ourselves comparing ourselves to those around us and and envy and jealousy begins to set in. When we begin to place our value and our worth, not in who we are in Christ, but on our, our possessions, on the things that we have, on our wealth. And so materialism begins to creep its way in and set itself up as a hard idol in our life. (laughs) Two weeks ago, I was on holiday and uh, we were in Cornwall. And, you know, it was a day when my wife and I were like, we want to go out for a meal, right? And do you know what? We want the very best. We want to blow it. We want to have a great night. Truth is, a Cornish pasty would have been just fine, right? But... Rick Stein apparently lived in Padstow where we were and had this restaurant and we were like, let's go to Rick Stein's place. And so we got ourselves a table book. I can honestly tell you we had no peace on going to this restaurant from the very outset. Who knows, we should listen to the peace that God gives us in the decisions that we make, right? But we went anyway because why we wanted it. (laughs) And so we got there. You should have seen this thing on my plate, right? This fish, I don't even know what it was, but my kids were absolutely petrified of it. And quite frankly, so was I, right? It looked like it was about to eat me, not the other way around. And I can honestly tell you, we had the worst meal. We had the worst meal. We, we, we should have listened to that lack of peace that we had in that decision. And I, I want us to know this morning, all of our financial decisions, what we do with our wealth, what we do with our money, matter greatly to God, big and small. It's not just the house. It's not just the car. It's not just those things. In fact, just before Christmas, I, 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 I wanted a new car. Is that okay? I'm like, I, I want a new car. I had this clapped out banger, this, this estate, um, Astro estate. Very useful and helpful for youth work, I'd have you know. But I'm looking at all these cars and I'm like, I, I want, I want more. I, I want that car. And so, you know, I'm, I'm getting to that point of getting a car. 
Let me pray about it. <laughs> and God doesn't give any peace on it. So I'm like, ah. So I didn't get the car. And I was like, you know, we've got to listen to the voice of God in our decisions and be content with what we have. Do you know what contentment of my car came on me? I'm like, oh, it's a great, it does the job. Praise you, Lord. Let's be thankful for what God gives us, right? <laughs> Two weeks later, on the roundabout, just at the back of Kingsgate, my car was written off, right? That would have been my new car. <laughs> would have been my new car and do you know what we found the insurance gave us so much more than we could ever imagined then when we're like lord can we have a new car god's peace came i got a new car it was great oh. <laughs> we need to know god's timing on things and put our spending through God, our attitude towards money before god and not allow materialism and wealth to take hold we can trust, can't we, that God has the very best for each one of us. God will meet all our needs, amen, according to his glorious riches in Christ, all our needs. So let's together, corporately, resist this lure of money, this love of money that, 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 that surrounds this materialistic society that we are in. What about the hard idol of sex? This hard idol of lust of desire that completely ravages contemporary society today in this digital age that attacks each one of us from every angle pornography is taking out our young people left right and center across this nation and we know that this isn't an issue just for our young people right exposure to addictions of pornography set itself up against God this is idol worship and and Paul instructs us in his letter to the Corinthians that we've got to flee from sexual immorality not just turn around from it not just resist it we've got to run in the other direction and when we get an inkling of something that is not right people we need to run we need to flee from that thing in Jesus name amen I wonder, how have our thought lives been this week? You know, what are, what are the things that we've found ourselves thinking about? What, what are the things we've allowed our eyes to see? Because the Bible is, is pretty clear on this issue. If, if you even look at a woman lustfully, lustfully, if you even look at a man lustfully, then you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. The state of your heart is important. We must be guarded as to what we see before it quickly dethrones our Lord, our Saviour, and takes us down a path we don't want to travel. We know, don't we, today that 42% of marriages end in divorce. I wonder how many of these are rooted in lust and desire, which shows itself in unfaithfulness. I remember in my... Uh, training as a Baptist evangelist, you know, we, we had accountability, we had a mentor, I got my mentor, he actually was the president of the Baptist Union, he was my mentor, and on our very first moment, one of the first things he said to me is, Phil, what have you been watching this week? What have you been watching this month? Tell me, have you exposed yourself to any sexually alluring material? Have you entertained any impure thoughts? Tell me about your thought life and your purity. I was like, <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> like he meant business. And do you know what? We've got to mean business in this area. And I'm so thankful to God for the accountability, the relationships that I've had in my life that have, have, have been a saving grace in times of temptation and struggle. Truth is, we all need accountability, don't we? You know, there, there, are, there are times when we, we feel spiritually spent, when we feel dry, when we're angry, lonely, tired, whatever it might be, where we become susceptible to temptation. And open, honest, transparent relationships with those we trust and respect are essential in our walk with the Lord. Let's not... Be naive to think that, that this, this hard idol of sex, of lust, of, of, of desire can't happen to, to us. The, the fact is it can and it does. And we see it around us all the time. People falling in this area. Praise God. The truth is God will not let you or I be tempted beyond we can bear. We will not be tempted beyond that which we can resist. The Bible is clear. And we can always resist that temptation. The truth is, Jesus was tempted in every way, right? But was without sin. Temptation is not a sin. It's what we do with that temptation that matters. Accountability is key. Let's not wait until there's an issue for which we're craving accountability. Let's get those infrastructures and relationships in place in our life so that when temptation comes, we've got the support that enables us to run from these things in Jesus' name. You may find yourself here this morning perhaps struggling in this, in this area. Perhaps you've not got accountable relationships in place. Perhaps this is a road you've already travelled or are travelling down now. I, I want to say again, no far is too far from God's love for you. And he is pursuing you this morning. And freedom and life and purpose comes through the forgiveness that we find in Jesus. And God's got destiny in life for you, but we've got to make active choices to flee from that thing and embrace the forgiveness and power of God in our life. Amen. And we're going to create some time and space this morning where we can come before God individually, corporately and say, God, I'm sorry for stuff, whatever it is. Lord, have your way in my life. I come before you repentant. And so finally, there's power. There's something so alluring about power that, that people crave it. I, I wonder whether you're a bit of a control freak or, or perhaps you know someone that is few nudges going on, you know. Like, there's something about power that we crave. We want the control. Sadly, we're prepared to break rules to get it and let others down to have it. And if we want the power, then there's little rule for God's rule and God's power in our life. And often behind it lies this kind of entitlement thinking that says that we deserve the praise, we deserve the success, we deserve these things, the respect. And when we don't get these things, we can find bitterness and frustration and resentment starting to well up in us. Perhaps we think we're so close to God that, that, that power's not an issue for us. I want to say if the disciples who are with Jesus every day, can fall into a dispute about who is the greatest, then for sure so can we. 
Perhaps we might fall into the trap of living like we don't need God. So often seen when our, our prayer life is weak, indirectly saying, do you know what? We, we can do this in our own strength. We come to depend on our strength, on ourselves, and not on God's power that is at work in us. This is idol worship. Perhaps we find ourselves so wrapped up in our, our progression, in our careers, in our status, that God gets pushed out. You know, our jobs are an amazing thing. We can celebrate our work. But if our career becomes the center of our life in place of God, then it's idolatry. It's idolatry. And so we must surrender ourselves afresh. Our desires for God's desires, our way for God's way. Because with all these things, money, sex, power, anything else, what's happening is we are dethroning the one true living God and we ourselves are the ones sitting on that throne. Truth is, I, I'm continually blown away by the incredible faithfulness, servant-heartedness, sacrifice of the people in this church. We've been celebrating many over recent weeks, right? I mean, it's such an inspiration when for sure self is nowhere near that throne and selfless living, surrendered, holy and pleasing to God is what we see, amen? Let's give all those that serve in this church a great sign of respect and love. And so... As I conclude and come to conclusion, why is all of this so important? And back to the story, because our God is a jealous God. And he desires our love. He desires our worship. And there's a consequence to our idol worship. Andrew was saying last week, wasn't he, that we have a God so loving that we can trust him, but a God so great that we should fear him. God's love is a jealous love. And, and in Exodus 20 verse 4, the Lord makes it clear, doesn't he? You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above earth, below. And you shall not bow down to worship them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. This isn't a, a jealous love like we know in the human sense. Right? This isn't a misplaced jealousy, a broken jealousy. This is a covenantal love through which God is deeply committed to each one of us. A steadfast love, intimate, passionate, faithful, unchanging, deep love for you and for me. And quite frankly, words cannot explain or describe the depths of God's great love for each and every one of us in this place this morning. You see, God desires our complete faithfulness. His love is jealous for our affection, jealous for our time, our worship, our energy, jealous for our devotion to himself. Andrew said last week, we are God's segula. <laughs> Does anyone remember that? God's treasured possession. And be sure he is fiercely possessive and protective over us. Just think about the, the protective love of a mother, of a father over their kids. Like seriously growing up, if, if anyone would come against me and my brother, my mum my would turn into a ninja. She'd sort them right out, you know. God's, God's love for us is a protective love, a protective, jealous love running so deep for us. And when 
Moses returns from the mountain in Exodus 32. He sees the golden calf and the dance and he burns with anger. He breaks the tablets. He burns it up, grinds it down to powder and he makes the Israelites drink it. And many were killed on that day. And whoever had sinned were blotted out from God's book. You see, God's jealous love does not leave the guilty unpunished. His grace and his forgiveness is not at the expense of his judgment. The guilty cannot just simply be acquitted. He is a just God. And what we see time and time again in the Old Testament is that God's people are not sheltered from God's justice. That facing a holy God is a dangerous thing. And whilst through Moses, the Lord's anger relented, God's judgment still came on those that worshipped that calf. But what is critical in this story is that Israel goes on to experience a deep conviction of sin and repentance for their idol worship. They recognised their guilt and their shame for the first time and the Bible says they mourned. They all mourned for what they had done. And so we too need a mourn for that stuff that finds its way, its way in, into our life, the stuff that we wrestle with. The, the golden calf experience brought the Lord's holiness home to his people and made clear the seriousness of our call to obedience. And so praise God, right? Alongside the, the jealous love of God is the saving love of our Lord Jesus. Amen? <laughs> that through the death of Jesus, that through the cross of Christ, God's jealous anger, God's righteous anger, it's been settled once and for all. It's done through his one and only son, Jesus, his life and death on that cross and resurrection. Our sin is gone once and for all, completely, totally, utterly forgiven as we accept the grace of our Lord Jesus. Amen. We can, we can stand here in the freedom that comes through our acceptance and our forgiveness through God. Romans 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Amen? <laughs> and so through repentance, deep repentance, conviction of sin, conviction of what is not right, through repentance and faith in Jesus, we can experience a God who shatters and breaks and destroys our idols. We can come before a holy God and say, God, we are so sorry. Forgive me, Lord, and set my path fully in the purposes and the plan that you have for our life. Sorry is not just saying sorry it's running away from that thing it, it is fleeing that thing it, it, it's making daily choices that see us run in the other direction it's not saying sorry it is living sorry before our God that we can be made holy and righteous before him honoring God with our bodies with our minds with our words with our lives that he might be glorified in all that we say in all that we do and we can carry the 
contagiousness of Jesus in each one of us, that we can be his light and the world around us can be radically transformed as we shine for him. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Amen.